Good morning, everybody. Uh, how was everybody's spring break? Sam's the only one with a great spring break here. So, so how was everybody's spring break? Awesome. Okay, cool. Cool. Because I had an interesting spring break. We decided my wife's birthday kind of falls right in the middle of spring break. And uh, we decided to go up to Dallas. Went and watched some hockey. Like, I'm a hockey fan. Um, most people aren't. But, hey, go to a game. It's enjoyable. Um, but on the way home, or on the way back to our hotel from the game, somebody decided to rear-end us up in Dallas. And so my car's got this whole bumper missing and everything. And we're still waiting on that to get finished. So that was at the beginning of the spring break. So the whole week was kind of like, ah. So we keep checking, hey, is the police report done so I can file and get insurance and stuff? And we're still waiting on that. So my spring break was interesting because we get to adult during our spring break. I was like, man, I want to be a kid again and just not worry about that and just have my parents take care of everything like that. Nope, I'm the adult. So I got to take care of it. So that's what we were doing. Anyways, uh, we're picking right back up where we left off. We were in, in Judges 13 today. Uh, we left off uh, with the story of Jephthah. Um, and then we find ourselves at, in Judges 13, we find ourselves at uh, the promise of Samson's birth. So probably the most famous person in the book of Judges uh, is what we're getting into now. The stand is like moving all over the place. Stay. There we go. All right. Um, so what we see in Judges... I'm losing all kinds of things up here. This battery's about to pop out of this thing. There we go. Forget that part. All right. So where we pick off, pick up, is where we left off. Basically, it's the same story in Judges. Uh, over and over, we see the same thing. It's going to be a repeated theme. So Judges 13.1 says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So, like I said, we pick up right where we left off. And almost at every beginning of each new story, we see the people of Israel did was what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, the only difference is sometimes we see, okay, they, they turn to the Lord, or they cry out to the Lord. Uh, in the last few stories, we do not see them turning to the Lord. We don't see them crying out to the Lord. We just see, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and then God does something about it. Uh, we don't see them crying out. We don't see them acknowledging that, they, that they've done something or that they're guilty. Um, this kind of reminds me of a, tell a little bit of a story. Uh, about, I'm going to say, seven or eight years ago now, um, I was on my way back from work. I worked down in Austin, so I'm coming back up to my parents' house. I was having this issue with my car. Uh, the whole panel, front panel, was not working properly. So my speedometer wasn't working. My odometer wasn't working. None of that was working. So I'm driving around, just guessing how fast I'm going. I'm just like, okay, cool. Everybody else speeds, so you know, if I'm speeding, no big deal, whatever. And so I get, to, uh, I get to Cedar Park. I'm coming up the back way. My parents live in Cove. My dad's a mechanic, so I'm like, you know what? He can help me fix this. So I'm headed back there after work. And uh, 
we all stop at this light and everybody just takes off and they're way ahead of me and I'm like, okay, as long as I'm behind everybody, I know I'm not speeding, I'm good to go. And all of a sudden, here comes this cop from the other side of the road, just spins around real quick, flips on his lights, runs me down kind of thing. So I pull over and he's like, do you know how fast you're going? I was like, no, sir, my speedometer is not working. He just gives me this look like, I've heard that one before. And I'm like, do you want me to prove it to you? I can, you wanna drive my car? It's not working. And he's like, well, if you weren't speeding, why were you so far in front of everybody? I look around and I was like, dude, they're all in front of me. And he's like, no, they're all behind you. That's the, that's the other people. Everybody I was with was way ahead of me. And, of course, he wouldn't listen to me, and so he sits there and just writes me a ticket, and I'm just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But I was on my way to fix it. So I'm sitting there trying to justify this whole ordeal and basically saying, I just got really loud, um, trying to say, hey, look, I'm not guilty. I didn't do anything wrong, or at least I didn't try to do anything wrong. And I was actually trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to say, okay, let me stay this far back. Let me, let me go get my speedometer fixed. Let me do all these right things. But the cop didn't agree with me. And he's like, no, you're guilty. You sped. And so it was like, huh. And so I'm kind of relating this to Israel because when we look through the story of Israel, right through, through Judges, we'll pick up on these interesting instances where you'll see that Israel is actually still trying to worship God in some sense or some manner. They still have their altars up to God. They still have all these things. You see that in the story of Gideon. You see that story of Jephthah. You see they're trying to do the right thing, but they more or less treat God kind of like the side chick. They're kind of like, they're like, you know, you know, we got, we got, we've got all the bales here that were like, we're in a relationship with these bales. But God, as long as we treat you like our side chick and we, we worship you once in a while or we do the church thing once in a while, we're still good to go. I mean, right, you know, we're, we're technically not doing everything wrong. We're trying to do everything right. And so I was like, you know what? I mean, that's kind of like how I did with the, with the police officer. I was like, look, I'm trying to do everything right, even though I was actually speeding. He was like, I clocked you at 70, what was it, 74 and a 60? And I was like, I was like, I, like okay, I don't know, man. I don't know. Whatever. But it's kind of like what Israel's doing. They're like, hey, you know, God, we're just, you're here with us. You know, it's, it's okay if we do all these other things. But let's look, let's look at the rest of the story. Let's see, what does God do? Even though Israel's sitting here treating him just like the side chick. Like, you know what, God, it doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want, you know, as long as we worship you sometimes on Sundays. Sometimes. We'll do Easter and Christmas, and you'll be good. So let's look at, uh, we're going to look at the next verse here. Um, so basically, my point for the story is that, you know, I found myself that I was positionally guilty, that I actually was speeding, even though I didn't feel like it. So oftentimes, it's like, it's kind of like how Israel is. They didn't feel like they were guilty, but God's telling you, no, you are guilty, and it's a positional thing and not just a feeling. Even though you don't feel shame for what you're doing, kind of like me, I didn't feel shame that I was speeding. I didn't know I was speeding, and I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. But hey, you know what? The police officer still told me, hey, you're guilty. It's like, okay. So what God does is he comes to the people who will be Samson's parents. And so we're going to pick up in verse 2, and we're going to read through verse 5, and we're going to see what does he tell them. Uh, So it says there was a certain man of Zorah, uh, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Uh, so we see God comes in and he kind of interferes. And he says, hey, Israel, you're not doing anything, so I'm going to actually come in. I'm going to interfere, and I'm going to begin to save you from the people who are oppressing you. Um, there's a little important fact in here. We're not actually really going to hit on it this week, but we'll see it in the next, next few coming weeks. Uh, this part where he says that Samson is going to be a Nazarite, where he shouldn't drink any wine, he shouldn't cut his hair, he shouldn't touch anything dead. Uh, we're going to see those actually play out in the next few weeks, but today we're not really going to hit on it. But just beware, in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll actually hit on those. Um, so God comes to him, specifically comes to, uh, to the wife, to Samson's mom, and he gives his promise. He says, okay, this is the kind of son you're going to have. Uh, pick up the next verse. She goes to her husband. Verse 6, it says, Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the, of the angel of the God. Very awesome. I did not ask him, uh, I did not ask him where, he was, where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. Uh, so we see within the next few verses, after she tells him, Okay, this is who this is. It's this person who came to me. They appeared to be really awesome. They appeared to be an angel of the Lord. And these are the instructions that they gave me. So her husband's kind of like, uh, yeah, I'm not real sure. Let's just ask him to come back. So he goes, he prays to God, says, hey, send this person back. That way, you know, I can ask the instructions that were given. Basically, he wants to verify what his wife's telling him. Uh, and that's what happens in all the verses between verse 6 all the way up to verse 17. Verse 17, we see that he actually comes back, and he first comes back to the wife. And the wife goes and gets him and says, hey, uh, this angel dude, he's, he's back. This angel Lord, he's back. So he goes to him, and it says, in, in verse 17 and 18, it says, And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So this is the part where it starts getting a little bit interesting. So we see first, okay, they first understand it's a man. Then they're kind of like, you know what? His appearance was a little bit different. So he's kind of this different man. He's like an angel. And then once they see him again, they're like, hey, uh, angel, do you want to stay with us? Do you want to eat with us? What's your name? And then he tells them, well, why do you want to know my name? My name is wonderful. Do angels normally just be like, hey, yeah, I'm not going to tell you my name. It's wonderful. Because normally we see an angel say, yeah, this is my name. So then they start getting kind of like, wait a minute. This is something different. This can't just be an angel, since he's like, hey, my name's wonderful. Like, angels have some interesting names. I'm like, there's, there's Michael. I mean, that's a cool name. I don't know that I'd call it wonderful. Um, there's Gabriel. It's, it's, a, it's an all right name, too. You know? I mean, it's cool. It's cool. But is it, but would you say it's wonderful? I'm like, your parents may, but... Um, because they picked it. But uh, what we're looking at, we're kind of like, yeah, these are, these are names, but would we consider it a wonderful name or an awesome name or these descriptors that they're giving it? And it's like, hmm, 
let's see, who is this really and what is going on? So we go on to, uh, we go to verse 19. And this guy, this angel tells him, you know, instead of you keeping me here and we eating and having a meal and you basically keeping me here to not go anywhere or do anything is basically what they were saying. He tells him, hey, why don't you make a sacrifice to the Lord? And so he he agrees. So it says in uh, in verse 19, So Manoah took the young goat with grain offering and offered it on a rock to the Lord, the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. So they see, oh, wait, this is, this is something different. We're doing this offering, then all of a sudden this guy just goes up in it, and it's just like, whoa. Let's, uh, let's realize there is, there is something really different. And it's at this point that they realize that this is actually God who they're talking to. Because we see in verse, uh, we pick up verse 22 through 23. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted our burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. And then we see at the end of this, once they realize it, they actually start to worship God. So looking through this, through th- chapter 13, what do, we, what do we actually see here in this story? What is, the, what is the point of this story here? Not just the promise of Samson's birth, but what is going on? And what can we, what can we understand, it, understand from this? So we see here that Israel has found itself in a position of guilt before God. That we've already established it. There in verse 1. Israel is guilty. They've gone back to the Baals. God has turned them over to their sin. And they are being basically into forced labor. So just as I was in this position of guilt without knowing it and no way of like delivering myself from this, because let me let me continue the story of, of me getting a ticket. So I thought I paid the ticket. I sent in a check. It's to Cedar Park. So it's like either show up in court, which I don't. I live in Colleen, so I'm like, I don't have time to go to Cedar Park. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to make money because I got no money for this. So I wrote a check, sent it in, thinking I'm good to go. Uh, about six years later, my parents, my mom specifically, sent me a text message. Hey, you got this really strange notice in our mail. And I'm like, why am I getting stuff at their mail? Because... I hadn't lived with them in the last however many years. So the next time I go to their house, I pull this thing open, and on the front of it says warrant. In whatever county Cedar Park was in, I can't remember what county it is, but it says you got a warrant for your arrest in this particular county. I was like, wait, what is going on here? I was just, why do I have a warrant? Why do they want to arrest me? Why have I not been arrested yet? This was like six years later. So I look on it, you look on the back of it, and it says, for outstanding ticket not being paid, yada, 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 whatever else. So I'm sitting here like, this was over six years ago. And I'm like, what kind of fine do I have? I'm like, are the cops going to come here and like arrest me? They found my parents' address. Are they going to be like, sitting at the front door waiting for me? Hey, when's your son going to come here? Is he ever going to visit you? I'm going to go arrest you. I didn't live there in forever, so I'm like, why aren't they ever coming to my house or anything? And the crazy part is, I'd actually been pulled over 
after them because like one of my lights was out, so the cop pulled me over and I was like, you know, you think he would have looked this up and told me, hey man, you got a warrant because I just looked up your ID, but he didn't say anything. So I was kind of like, what's going on? Anyways, uh, at this time that I get this warrant, uh, I'm a full-time student, I'm not working. I ain't got no money, I'm broke. Like, come on now. So I'm sitting here looking at this and it's like this outstanding fine that I have to pay. And so I call the number on the back this sweet little old lady, she answers the phone, and I'm like, yo, I got a warrant, what's going on? And I'm freaking out, and she's like, oh, you know, honey, it's okay, just call this phone number and do this, and I'm sitting here freaking out, what do you mean it's okay? I got a warrant, I'm gonna get arrested. And she's all like, oh no, it's okay, it's fine. You know, everybody does, I'm like, what do you mean everybody does this? I'm just like, I'm in trouble with the law. And I'm like, I don't wanna be arrested. I was like, what is everybody gonna think? Um, but hey, it gave me a great story, you know. Uh, so I go ahead and I call them and they're like, yeah, all you do is you just pay the fine and it's, it's, it's okay. And I'm like, man, I thought I did that. And so I'm sitting here, a broke student, and I'm kind of like, man, I ain't got no money. Well, I'm married at this time, my wife's working, she's got money. So, <laughs> so I'm actually sitting here and in, in the point of this is that I am positionally guilty. The cops deem me, you're guilty. If you do not pay this fine, we're gonna send you to jail. And to kind of relate this is that, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a broke student. I can't do anything, you know. We're, we're going we're gonna to ignore the fact that, you know, my wife and I share a bank account, and I actually technically do have money because we share that. But for the illustration's sake, my wife has money, and I don't. I'm broke. Um, so this is kind of what Israel finds themselves in this same type of position, is that they think they're good. They don't know that they're, they're positionally guilty. They think they're good like me. I'm sitting here. I'm all good. I'm sitting here six years. No idea that I got a warrant. Yay. And so just as with my wife paying for my warrant and it being no longer guilty, God interferes with Israel. And he comes in. He's like, hey, you're guilty. You can't do anything about it. So I'm going to start to do something about it. And one of the real interesting parts about this passage specifically, when he makes a promise of this child of Samson, he says that Samson will begin to save them from the Philistines. Because we see Israel is struggling with the Philistines all the way through the next few judges, and then through Samuel, and then finally, and then through Saul, and then finally David comes and delivers them from the Philistines. So it's real interesting when we look at that and we see that he talks about beginning to save them. And this is also part of this God beginning to save us as well. Uh, there are some people who say, hey, you know, the Old Testament doesn't matter. We don't need to look at it anymore today. The only thing we need is the New Testament. But really, the Old Testament's the beginning of the story of Jesus. And when we look closely through the book of Judges or any of the other ones, Genesis really is where it all begins, and we see this. We see this this. I think people call it normally like a, a crimson, like a crimson string uh, that weaves through all of Scripture, that you can actually see Jesus throughout all of Scripture and him being promised and him coming. Uh, and here is specifically is where we can start to really see some of that within Judges, is that God is beginning to save these people. Even though they don't think they need saved or they don't want to be saved and they just want to do what they want to do, God comes in and interferes and starts to save them. And oftentimes, we oftentimes 
feel like we don't need saving. And I think that's one of, the, one of our biggest issues. Uh, because oftentimes we go and do things like, you know, I'm going to use uh, the way as an example. You know, talking to you all, I'm going to use the way. But for us adults, we also feel like certain things when we go to men's conferences, women's conferences, and stuff like that. Oftentimes during things like that, uh, we often go to events like this, and we end up on this, we on this high afterwards. We feel great. We're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm following God right and, and just doing all these things. And it typically lasts for like a couple weeks after that. But then all of a sudden, everything just disappears, and we go back to our normal lives, forgetting that God is at work right now, like today, in, in what we're doing. And And it's not just during these events where we feel God's presence. Like, I mean, I'm not saying the way is horrible or anything. Don't, don't hear me say that because I enjoy it, and I enjoy going to conferences and everything. But then it's always this point where we're like, we go there, and we just feel everything and all the emotions, and the worship's great. And then we're just like, yeah, let's all repent afterwards, and let's all say we want to become Christians. But it's kind of like the same way the, that we find the Israelites are in Judges. Like, after one judge comes, they're all on this high, and they're all going really well. But then all of a sudden, once that judge passes away, then they go back to how they were. They just go back and be like, you know, we're, we're just going to go back to the bales. But it's like we become used to these things that we do, and we kind of become lethargic to how God has called us to live. But God's still at work even when we don't feel him and even when we don't seek him. But God has come to reveal himself to us just as he did to Samson's parents. Like, he came and he revealed himself to them. And he's like, hey, I got a plan for you all. And I got a plan to, to help you all, to save you all. So we see that, again, we're just looking at this. We see Israel has found itself in this position of guilt, but God himself has come and intervened on their behalf. So we're going to look at this, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And this starts to tell us about what God has done through Jesus for us. So Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, He is the image of the invisible God. This is talking about Jesus specifically. It says, The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is a really important part here. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So God chose to come and reveal himself through Jesus. Like he come, came and revealed himself to Samson's parents. He came in, they thought he was an angel, and he's like, no, I'm wonderful, and I'm going to save you from this. But then he came and he, he showed his fullness to us through Jesus. So we see that God has revealed himself to us through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that we might be reconciled to him, and that we may stand positionally guilt-free before him. 
So just like me with my ticket, for me to be able to stand guilt-free before a judge and paying that ticket, basically it's like, hey, to go to a judge and say, I no longer have this warrant, I need to pay this fine, and I can stand before him guilt-free and say, I don't have a warrant. It's the same thing Jesus does for us, is that one day we're going to stand before God. And Jesus will say of some of us, no, he's guilt-free because this is what I have done for them. So when we see, we see one of two responses when God comes and reveals himself through Jesus. These are kind of like based off of what Samson's parents did. So one, we either fear God and we believe that we will die because we know our position before God is that of being guilty. So Samson's dad was basically like, yo, uh, God revealed himself to us. We're going to die. God's going to kill us. We see that kind of in, uh, not kind of, but we do. We see it in Deuteronomy where it's like people cannot be in the presence of God or they're going to die. Why? Because they are guilty before God. He is holy. We cannot be in his presence or else we'll die. Or we have the second response, which is what we see Samson's mother basically tell, his, tell Samson's father. Uh, we respond in repentance and worship, just as Samson's parents did. And what she says is, you know what, if God really wanted to just kill us, he would have right then, and he would not have accepted this sacrifice that we have offered to him. He told us to accept this sacrifice. We listened to him. We obeyed him. And he forgave us because it was an act of repentance. So when we look at this, we're, uh, God is calling us to himself. He's calling us to repentance. God isn't just coming here so we can be like, oh, no, we're all going to die because God's holy and we're not, which oftentimes is our repentance. I mean, is our, is, our, is our response is either that or repentance. But here's what God is calling us to and what Jesus came for. In Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he's telling us, here should be your response when Jesus comes to you, when Jesus calls you and says, hey, this is what I have done for you. Oftentimes we respond in, oh no, I'm not worthy. I'm going to die because I'm guilty. But Jesus tells us, no, you're no longer guilty because I'm declaring you not guilty. This is what I'm doing for you, and this will be remove, this will remove your burden. Uh, last passage here, and then we can go on to our uh, discussion questions. I'm kind of proud of myself. I had to, I worked a lot to get it really short and not go over time, and I'm at 11:52. I'm kind of proud of myself. Uh, so Romans 5, yeah, I shouldn't take more than 10 minutes with this verse here. Uh, Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So if you walk away with anything from this talk, it's that through the work of Jesus, through his life, death, resurrection, his ascension, is that through him we have been declared righteous. We have been taken from our position of being guilty and we have been placed in a position before God of being righteous through the work of Jesus. That God now looks at you as if you were his son and says that you are no longer this identity of your sin. This no longer has any power over you. This is no longer who you are considered. 
But now that God has done this work, Jesus has done this work for you. He now declares you. Um, the, word, the word that is typically used in other translations uh, is justified, is that you have been justified before God. That's like, I think it's a great example of me using my speeding ticket and all of that because before God, when we come before God at the end, it's going to be just like standing before a judge. It, it is going to be standing before a judge. So just like me not having to go and stand before a judge and him telling me you're guilty, go off the prison. It's that when we get to the end, when we die, when we become before God, Jesus would say, no, they're, they're justified. They now stand right because this is what I have done for them. And so with this, you have one of two responses that Jesus is calling you to. The first response is which we, the one that we most often want to take is that we kind of want to hide. We kind of want to be like, yeah, no, I don't want anything to do with you because I'm guilty before you and I just don't want anything to do with that because we fear him and we fear being guilty before him. But the other response, what he's calling us to do too is a response of repentance. And when we repent, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. When we repent, when we stand before God at the end, it's that you are, you are righteous, you are justified. You are now his. And so just think on those throughout the week or throughout the day. And with that, uh, you can go do your questions.